Good evening, guys. It's 7.30 on a Friday night, so I'm glad you guys could come out here. My name is Daniel Waldheim, and I'll be introducing Go On's first ever live streaming episode here in Cafe Mocha. Tonight, we have host and good friends, Christian Nikoloff, John Motherly, and of course, the Pastor Mark Lawrence. Give it up. And, um, and tonight, we'll be talking about love. Phileo, of course. No, not really. Pastor Mark is here to give us his wealth of insight, wisdom, and tools of the trade from personal experience about romantic relationships, folks. Now, before we go on, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and open us in a word of prayer. All right. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Um, I just ask that you fill Christian and Jaren and Pastor Mark with your words, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, I ask that this conversation um, and these tough and interesting questions will be um, glorifying to you, and Lord, that we can learn um, how you want us to act um, and live in accordance with your will and your instructions for us. Lord, let this be informative and let us learn and let us learn and grow from this experience. In your name, I pray. Amen. Um, there, listen up, there's going to be a Q&A afterwards, so uh, the last 20 minutes there's a Q&A. Sit back and enjoy the show. All right, welcome to Go On Live. Okay, so quick story as we, we get into this, and we're doing it in a very casual way, because just like the podcast, if you've listened to us before, it's kind of how it goes. So we started talking about this like what, like a month ago? And so much stuff has transpired since then, and um, a lot of new things have been added, not only in my life, but I know Chris's life, and this has been a different transition over just one month. And so we initially started talking about like having you on the podcast as a guest, just as we've had everybody else. And then we started coming up with the idea of what if we did a live event and brought everyone that listened to the podcast in on the podcast with us. And make it uh, not only just us as the hosts and a guest, but actually a community experience. And so that's where we are right now and why we're here. And we wanted to tackle the subject of love because with the change of uh, how we were doing life group lesson plans, the talk, the love talk kind of wasn't a part of it as much as it was last year. And so we thought maybe this could fill the space. And so that's kind of what we want to jump into. And Chris, I know you have the first question and we can kind of start the discussion there but um yeah we're gonna be talking about love so as i always say in the regular podcast sit back relax and enjoy this i think it's i think it's the 10th episode the 10th episode of go on We all know that, you know, um, with relationships and love, um, and just having crushes, and you know, I mean, Valentine's just day, day passed just, just two weeks ago, um, and you know, all love just stems from God, and perfect love casts out fear, um, and so, just to start off light, uh, what is your perfect date, Pastor Mark? Your perfect date. Now, from what perspective? Has been married 34 years, or prior as a single man? You're, so you're a 
girl and you're like, wow. And, and you just have to create this best, first, perfect date. What do you do? That's a very interesting scenario. And I played that out. I think my answer is going to surprise you. I think the perfect first date is a group date. I think a group date with at least one, but preferably like two or three more couples. But when you have a group of people and the dynamics of all the different personalities and different levels of like and infatuation, but you know, you know what you're, you're you know what you're there for. You and you know the person you like. But you know what? I really believe group dates provide boundaries of safety. And you know what it does? It takes off the pressure of the sometimes unrealistic expectations and maybe some of the awkward moments because you have the option of group communication, but there are gonna be times when, of course, the communication is gonna be one-on-one. -on -one. So my, I think the first uh, ideal perfect date is a group date. Could you, could you talk a little bit about um what your first date with your wife was like. My first date was a disaster. Okay, it was a group date, a group of, okay, we both grew up in New Jersey, all right? Um, the city I grew up in is New Jersey City. She lived across the river in Newark, New Jersey. So my cousin, uh, four years older than me, I am 16 at the time, so he's maybe just three years older than me. But anyway, he had this great idea you know, Mark, let's find you a girlfriend this summer. And, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. Let's find me a girlfriend this summer. So he went to a large church in New York. So literally we spent the whole summer, like on weekends, going to different events, youth events, and going to parties and stuff. So I can like meet a really nice Christian girl. So here we are, it's near the end of the summer. Uh, about eight of us are jammed in this uh, six passenger car. And we were driving from North Jersey to like Atlantic City. So it was my car of the people I came with, and my wife was in another car with about eight other people, and she had a boyfriend. I mean, like, so literally I was like, you know, boom, the whole day. We, I had this long car drive, we get to the beach, and they're like walking along the shoreline holding hands, you know, I could hear the music and everything. And I'm like kind of miserable. I'm like sitting there by myself saying, like, what a jerk. Why did I even come here? But I, what I didn't know was she was walking along the shoreline breaking up with this guy. And actually, he was the jerk. But um, so after we got back to her, her parents' house, and by the way, when I walked in my, my, when I stood at the door of my wife's, my girlfriend's house, first time, I mean, I didn't even know her. Her mom opened the door and she looked at me. She said, what's this Lawrence boy doing at my house? Found out later that not only did my parents and her parents know each other, they like group dated before they got married. I know, ooh, that's kind of weird, but anyway. So after we got back from this long day at Atlantic City, um, she sent everybody else home, all the other guests, and we just started talking, you know, around with, you know, other people, but we got to talking, and the long and short of it was um, from that day, July 19th, 19, we dated the rest of the summer, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, every, every night we were, and she was in college that time when it was summer program, but anyway, that's kind of, it started with a group date. So with, with the, I guess, the, the, I guess, not rough start, but just interesting start, what was the process of, because we really wanted to talk about this, the, uh, the idea of being patient and the, I guess what they've called the sacred search 
And so for a lot of college students, I wonder like, like what's it like on your perspective having building that relationship in the process that it doesn't just happen overnight, it, it takes time. And for you, what was that like? What, as, as a young man, what were you feeling? Was it, how, was it hard? Was it, was it easier than you expected? What was the process of from where you really knew that you loved her to uh, we really are taking the next step? I want to answer that question, but before I do, I want to deal with something foundationally. And that foundational word and issue I want to address is love. What is love? Um, Pastor Lance talked a little bit about that in, in, in chapel last night, on chapel, but you have to determine now what lens you're going to view love. If you're going to let the world, def if you're going to take the world's definition, if you're going to let the world define what love is and what intimacy is, it's going to be a totally different ball game. So I'm going to tell you from the very beginning, the foundation of our relationship was our individual and our collective understanding of really what God's um, agape love was. And me knowing and understanding that, you know, as much as I like her, as much as I'm attracted to her and vice versa, you know, she's a sister in Christ, but I really want this, I really want the potential of this relationship to, you know, to manifest and to grow. So getting back to your point, what was that journey like? Um, now, keep in mind, just to give you a little more backstory, uh, that summer, I told you, like every weekend we'd gone out, so I'd probably gone through, you know, seven or eight in terms of just introductions. It was no nothing more than introductions and group dates. But I really, really wanted to have somebody special in my life. I knew early in my life I wanted to be a husband and a father. And I knew that I wanted my, life, my wife to spend um, some of the formative years with me growing and developing in my, you know, young, well, back then, teen years. But I knew I definitely wanted to do my young adulthood years and into marriage. So that was a focus and that was a goal of mine, of course. And it was, it was college degree. It was, you know, college degree slash career and then marriage. So when, when I finally met someone who I really um, thought was a really, had serious potential, I had to, I had to make some adjustments, guys. And let, let me share a couple of things with you, please, if I can ramble just for a moment, because my wife did not fit the physical specs that I had for the girl that I thought I would, you know, was gonna fall in love with. And um, See, back in the day, we didn't have cell phones with like pictures and stuff on. We had like little, photo albums. And I'll never forget, my father came in my room one day, and he, we were just talking, he picked up my photo album, my all-girl photo album, and he's flipping through it, and he's like, he saw the, he saw the image, he saw the, you know, the specs that I like, you know, tall, long hair, whatever, whatever, and then he was like, Mark, don't marry an image, don't marry, don't marry, you know, measurements, and he said, look, for, look at the heart, look at the character. Of a, of a woman. And then, then I'll never forget what he said. And now, now keep in mind, generationally, he's old school. He said, marry a woman like your mother. Marry a woman with your mother's qualities. Now, my, my, of course, my mom and dad had seven children. I was three of seven. Every day we came home, you know, she nurtured us. She was um, in the nursing profession. She was an RN. So she had a, a perfect job as a school nurse because that means, you know, she could you know, be home like right same time we got home or before. So anyway, I saw those qualities that I wanted in a wife. So when I started that process, I already had in mind, you know, kind of what I wanted from a quality standpoint, but he blew out of the water. Look, don't base it on looks. Cause he said, they're going to come and go. So base it on the qualities 
and the character of, of that person. And number one, that should be, you know, loving God with all your heart. We'll get back to that in another, another So basically, I, we, uh, I've had discussions with people about, and kind of going off of that, the idea of having a list, possibly. And, you know, with a lot of people that I talk to, always, 100%, the first thing is that they must love Jesus more than they love me. And so what what's your opinion? Because I've heard differing opinions on lists. My mom had a list, and my dad met every single one of those things except he couldn't drive a stick shift. <laughs> but he learned, so... Um, but what's your perspective on lists based out of uh, our faith? I think I don't want to get I don't want you to get legalistic about this, but I'd rather instead of saying have a list, I like to say it like this: have some non-negotiables. Have some non-negotiables. There for me, um, I, I had to. For me, it was um, she had to come from a Christian home with two parents that loved her. She had to. Um, be educated, you know, she had one a college degree, you know, those were just a couple of mine. But so knowing your mind, you know, these are some things that I'm not going to compromise on. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, I think that can go to an unhealthy extreme. But in terms of if you don't have any markers, then how will you know, you know, and again, I don't think those markers or negotiables need to 100% be what they look like physically. For, and if you have something off of this, but um, we've talked about before kind of the process of Christians, especially college age, you know, young Christians, that you, as you said, uh, over spiritualize some of those uh, non negotiables sometimes and what they're, what, whether what they're looking for or feeling called to. What could you expand upon that? in a sense of the, the idea of over-spiritualizing, and what was it that you said? Yeah, just overthinking the relationship. When you have the basic non-negotiables, I think that's a good place to start. But I think when you start overthinking it, when you start, you know, if, if his eyebrows are crooked, then he's not the one. I mean, come on, it can get, it can get a little weird. Um, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit picks your mate for you. I don't believe that God picks your mate. Okay, my own personal opinion, because we are agents of free choice, free will. That's how he created us. However, I do believe that um, the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, who is the spirit of wisdom, I believe at our request, he will assist us. He will come alongside to help us. So by that time uh, in the summer when I met my wife, he had already seen and dated, you know, at least four five, six different girls. And when I met her, there was something very interestingly intriguing about her. And like at the end, at the end of the the night, the date, and and by the way, that that whole summer, it was always with somebody else. There were there were no isolated days. Um, I was just I, I wanted to see her again, so I I just I said, Lord, show me or confirm that she is the best one for me, okay? And He did that. He, that was my prayer. That was my confirmation, and uh, and He gave me those confirmations that according to you know your personality type and your dreams and your goals and your aspirations and we talked about all these things listen on that the first day i met her and after she sent everybody home we we had some kind of like a little a, a long time aside from the crowd and one of the first questions she asked me now i'm a pk guys my dad i was born into a family my dad was a full-time evangelist and his father my grandfather was the pastor of our local church she said 
So, Mark, um, what are your spiritual goals? Like, where do you see yourself in the Lord? Uh, what's God been saying to you? Uh, what, 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 what's, what, what's your time in the Word been like? I was raised in a Pentecostal denomination. Nobody had ever asked me what God was saying to me, where I saw myself, how did I see myself growing in the Lord? What? I went to church every Sunday. I paid my tithes. I sang in the choir. You know, what are you talking about? So she introduced me to a, a whole different paradigm of not just relationship with God, but spiritual accountability to say, look, your, your relationship with God should be more than just your verbal assent. Are you born again? Yes, I'm. Ladies, there are a lot of guys that can check that box. They will come with you to church. They will go through all of the motions. But it's the deep probing. Explain your walk with me. Tell me about the first time you, tell me about what your, your, your conversion. Tell me about when you first asked Christ to come into your life. Tell me about your first encounter with the Holy Spirit. And if you get that deer in the headlights look. So off of that, um, of how important a relationship with Christ is before you get into a relationship, um, what's the purpose of marriage? Wow, thanks. Thanks for the fastball. He's throwing me laughing these easy ones. Okay, you know what? The purpose of marriage for me was more than just to procreate because we had a plan. We were like, first five years, we're having, we lived in LA, so we're like, no babies, first five years, we're enjoying this trip. But I really wanted to. Five years. Yeah, five years. The first. What? Okay. But I really wanted to. Um, I knew there was a ministry call in my life. At that time, though, I thought it would be in communications. I thought it would be with media. I thought it would be in uh, the entertainment industry. But nevertheless, I knew I wanted a partner with me to, um, to reach those goals with me and also to help her reach her goals. Guys, I'm telling you, if you if you're looking at marriage and if you're looking at relationships, all about it being you know someone to be your help me to make you the best you can be, then I, I think you're really kind of missing the boat. I really believe that the marriage institution, the institution of marriage, is God's example to the world of what relationship looks like to you know to the world. I believe that God is really calling for you know men and women of God to come together. To procreate, yes, we want more Christians on this earth, but literally to live out our our purpose and our destiny so that the world can see. And we be in love and we enjoy the passions from each other and not have to worry about all the other extraneous stuff that's happening, the crazy stuff outside of marriage. I really want to talk about the the reality of partnership and how it's such a unique picture to paint that you have your best friend to collaborate with in everything like the idea that idea and that that kind of setup just alone is what makes me excited about marriage that I get to have a best friend that I get to share everything with and for you what was the what was the most exciting thing that you were that you both were bringing into the relationship that was before you were married kind of your own, but you felt like a piece of the puzzle was missing, and then when you came together, it, it finally felt full and whole. Ladies and gentlemen, don't ever minimize the best friend factor. One of the craziest things, uh, my wife and I were, um, there was a young lady in our life that we knew from church and had seen her grow up for a few years, and then we were like, you know, there was another young man in the church, we were like, 
hey, what about, you know, she was maybe 20, 19, 20. And she said, oh, no, I could never marry him. We're best friends. We're friends. We're, we were like, ah. that's the that's the, that's a ideal situation. And guys, there are two types of best friends. There's type, there's there's the verbal, just kind of like in, in theory, best friend. But then there's the person who, this is going to sound corny, completes you. There's a person who dreams with you. There's a person who encourages you. There's the person who inspires you. There's a person who hears you. There's a person who, who corrects you. And all of those dynamics. So, so when, we, when we really kind of got together and we, we saw that this, this relationship had potential, it was the strength of our friendship that, that consummated that relationship in that uh, okay, at the end of that summer, let's see, well, that was the summer before my um, senior year in high school, so fast forward after graduation, you know, I went to Oklahoma for college. She had another year of high school, and then after that, I was still in Oklahoma, and she went to school in Boston. So we had a long-distance relationship for, for years, and it was built on the strength and the foundation of a godly friendship. So... You know, you had your five years to have fun before you had children. Um, but before that, you know, the, I mean, the Bible says, you know, if you're burning with passion, get married. Um, and, you know, we're all young. You're all young adults. Um, and, you know, some of us kind of have this idea of like, oh, I'm a, well, I have the idea of I'm a bachelor to the rapture. Um, and so what I'm just trying to say is like, you know, if obviously I want to get married one day. Um, but if I'm, you know, burning with passion, but I don't really see myself getting married um, and I'm in a relationship, what are some boundaries that I can set uh, physically in that relationship? I don't know. I may need you, Kristen, to kind of qualify some of the things you're saying because, you know, there is there's a insidious deception going around in the body of Christ. I'm not necessarily talking about your generation. I'm talking about those that are ahead of you in their um, early, mid to late 30s. And what I hear on a regular basis, Pastor Martin, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm single, no, 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 I'm not, marriage is not for me, brother. And you know, this guy's in the church, he's a believer, whatever, but he's taking advantage of, the, of some of the single females. He's taking sexual advantage. He's having oral sex with, with somebody. He's, he's having regular sex. And it may be infrequently, but I'm going like, okay, I'm not going to buy into that because that's why the Bible says, you know, you, if you burn with lust, then, then marry. But it's going to be that unique male or female that, that, that aren't consumed by their fleshly passions. I knew I was not the brother that's going to be, you know, waiting. And, no, I, I knew that wasn't me. So, you know, thank God I got that out the way. But it's, that's just a small part of it, guys, because if you go into marriage thinking that, man, once I get married, all of my lust issues are going to be taken care of forever. That's a, that's that's a lie. That's that's totally wrong. And hopefully we can talk just a little bit about what those dynamics look like. Why marriage doesn't automatically cure that? Yeah. Um. So this is this is a vast one as well. Um. Is it possible to masturbate without lusting? Let's say you know for either married. Or, or not married, right? Is it possible to masturbate without lusting? And if so, is masturbating without lusting a sin? Just a preference. We we talked ahead of time. We said we were really going to get into it. So just prepare yourself. Here we go. Can I go there, guys? Can I go? Just kind of nod me. 
I saw a couple of looks like, <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. Okay. The Bible is very clear about lust, and the Bible is very clear about our flesh. It actually uses the analogy of the words that we're at war with our flesh. I want to talk to you from a, for a moment from a single perspective and from a married perspective why I believe that masturbation is sin. Masturbation is, is self-centered. It's, it's me. It's, and I'm going to speak from a male perspective. That's the only perspective I can speak from. But it's me relieving myself. It's Mark taking care of Mark. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, as a single man, if that's my pattern, then my body physically, physiologically, I adjust to that so that now when I do get married, my, it's, it's, it's like discombobulated. My, 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 I have trained my system to pleasure itself. So I'm, there's going to be some dysfunction with your, with your mate. That's number one. Number two, it's, it's, a, it's a selfish act, and it frustrates the system that God put in, plan, in place. Okay, for, for men, when we build up semen in our system, God has a, God has a unique and ingenious uh, way of us relieving that. And besides the cold showers, it's called nocturnal emission. When we sleep, automatically that at a certain point that you know we, it's called a wet dream. We, it'll it'll release itself. As a few guys smile at me and avoid eye contact, but that's just the way. It, and I will never, I'll never remember, forget. I don't know, 13, 12, 13, 14, whatever. When I woke up with soiled sheets and I was like, "What the heck is going on here?" And I'm trying to get rid of them. Mom's like, "Sorry, so I, I got this." But anyway, that's God's design. Your body doing what He designed it to do. So when you take that onto yourself, it's a selfish act. It's a damaging act up the road, and I don't believe it can be done without a pornographic thought or uh, import uh, impure fornicating thought or something that would grieve the Holy Spirit. I just kind of want to bounce off the idea of selfishness and selflessness. Something that I'm extremely uh, pushing for my guys in, in life group is that you, the idea of, this is something I've learned from my dad and, and as, as my dad being a, a father and a husband, he's living his life selflessly and he's, it's about, it's an outward pouring giving. Not only to just my mom, but to me and my siblings, to family members, that is something I want to emulate in my own life, acts of selflessness. So that, and we, talk, we talked about this, it, the, the, to use like a sports analogy, you know, if you, if you want to be good at playing soccer, you gotta practice, you gotta, you gotta practice a lot. And then the more you practice, it just becomes very natural. And that, there's an encouragement of if for for us as we are searching for our future spouse to be practicing selflessness just with our friends and with those we serve with, so that it just becomes a part of you and who you are. And so that when you do meet, you know, your future spouse, they can look at you and go, "That's somebody that is genuinely thinking about me." and not themselves. And and then when we get into the talk about sex, it's a gift that we're giving. It's not something we're receiving for ourselves, it's a gift we're giving to somebody else. And the beauty in that, and just the, the idea of it, of 
everything just surrounding uh, a heart based out of selflessness. One of the wonderful things about the kingdom of God and what God has modeled for us in the word of God is that it's it's based on love and it's based on giving. For God so loved the world that he, that he gave. So when you are in a relationship, and some of you like may know somebody who was in a relationship, that one party was pressuring the other party for, you know, for sex or for thing inappropriate sexual behavior, you know, then that's lust is selfish. Love lust wants to fulfill me. But love is giving. Love says I will wait. Love says I will honor you. Love says I will respect you. I'll be able to look you in the face and you'll be able to look in the mirror without shame. So that is the pattern that God give, that God has given us. And I'm telling you, it's a wonderful, wonderful fulfillment when you do come together and consummate in the in the marriage bed. There's nothing, there's nothing, it's just it's just the best when you have done it right. But when you start with the uh, all the external things that come with masturbation and psychologically, physiologically, you are setting yourself up to further damage your relationship that has not even come into being yet. Yeah. Yeah. When would you say is, you know, you know, when I first came to, to Regent, you know, I didn't really think of coming to a Christian university, but I did. And Regent's awesome. And I love it. And right when I first came, you know, my RA was getting married and he was 19 years old and I was 18 and I was like, so do I have to get married at 19? They're like, what does this mean? And my, my parents got married at like 30, so they're later and then, you know, but I come here and there's this culture of like, oh, everyone's just getting, you know, having that ring by spring. Um, and so I kind of got like controlled by that mindset for a little bit and realized like, oh, okay, that's just like, that's just not what God has for me. Um, but how do you know, how do you know when is the right time? When is the right time? You know, we talked about, you know, the list and I talked about, you know, the non-negotiables. I think the same thing goes when it comes to, you know, marriage. And um, my parents had a very strong influence on my life because, you know, when my wife and I started dating at the end of high school and through college, he was like, he was, first of all, they were tickle pink, but he was like, don't even think about it till you graduate. So then here we are at graduation. We're standing in the Maybe Center at All Roberts University. I, you know, you come across the stage and then you finally get to your parents. First thing he says to me is, you can get married now. I'm like, no. Oh! I mean, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. So in turn, to answer your question directly, how do you know? I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about courtship. That's one of the wonderful things about engagement is you have these long, um, deep conversations, but you strategize and you plan. Hey, this is just my personal opinion, and I don't know anything about anybody, but if you got if you get married um, at whatever age, but especially early, and you got to live in your parents' house or the attic, you're, you're, come on. I mean, one of, one of our non-negotiables were we're going to have our own place. And we had an ideal situation because we got married here in Virginia Beach at Rock Church, and I was living in L.A. I had our life established in L.A. So literally on the next day, we got on a plane, flew out to California. So we had to literally, we, it's like jumping in the deep end of the pool. We had to figure things out on our own, but we had it. It was a very, very modest one-bedroom apartment. It didn't even have a full stove. It had a refrigerator, but she was literally cooking our meals on a, what do you call those things, ladies? Uh, like a hot plate? Yeah, and it had like maybe a couple of little burners. 
So we laugh at those things, that we laugh our heads off about those things. And if I could just go back to touch about the friendship thing, um, I remember as a kid growing up and you know, back then we didn't have bands, we had station wagons. So we would take these long trips across country in the station wagons, if you can imagine that. And I remember there would be just certain times during the trip, mostly at night, our parents, I would wake up and they would be like talking and laughing. And then like when we wake up, then they start talking in code. They stop using English and they start using all this code talk. There were other times at home that um, that I would come and knock on the door in the bedroom and they would, you know, they would be, wait, 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 wait. Okay, you can come in. And when we uh, we'd come in and, and they would just be laughing and acting silly. We would be like, what the heck is going on? I understand now. That I understand because when you marry your best friend and when you when you live life together in the fullness of what God created it to be, when you share each other's passions and visions and dreams, and when you are genuinely interested and committed to making the other person the best. If you ask my wife right now, anywhere you see her, you can see her at Walmart, anywhere you stop and say, Dr. Dawn, give me one word to describe marriage. I'm going to tell you what she's going to say. She's going to say selfless. And when you build that selflessness on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the sky's the limit. No, no, no. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for here on the podcast. So I want to ask, um, as, as Christians, we are called to surrender and, and put our trust in the Lord. And so you're kind of telling the story of how, you know, you and Dr. Don didn't really have a lot, and you're stepping out in faith knowing that the Lord is going to be there. And so what's in not only just a marriage situation, but in a dating situation, a relationship, what does that look like where it's like sometimes you really just got to take a step back and trust that like this person has walked into my life at this time? Why is it that they this person has walked into my life at this time for this specific reason? Do I need to take a leap of faith and just trust the Lord? And what does that look like on both sides of my, I guess, that... The, the element of trust in building a relationship with somebody. Yeah. And is that is that overthinking it, or is that something you just need to take a leap of faith on and just I, dive I, I'm, in? I'm having, I'm having a hard time like, grasping what your question is. The, I guess, tr- I guess just trust in it as a whole yeah. is figuring out like the dating process and and taking that leap of faith and pursual and searching right and having just to trust in that process I, I'm, I'm he probably is going to question that so what Jared is trying to say is how do I know that this girl likes me without actually asking her out how do I how do I just read her mind wow. <laughs> I mean we're all asking it right good luck with that <laughs> You know what, guys, ladies and gentlemen, I am black and white, pretty much. And if I like you, I'm going to tell you I like you. If I want to get to know you, I want to tell you I want to get to know you. I think there's a tactful, respectful way to do that. And again, I think in the safety of, of, of in her maybe circle of friends to to say, you know, hey, I, you, I see you guys like go out at the lunch happy hang out. I'd like to come hang out with you. I'd like to get to know you better. I mean, I don't know what the what the vernacular is today. I don't know what the lines are, how you communicate. But ladies, don't make it hard. I mean, this, I, I want to just be, I, I'm hoping that just simple communication in that I want to get to know you, okay? Let's 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 start somewhere. There's, there's got to be a ground zero. So what that looks like, you know, you're going to have to figure that out. But 
I would I would hope that that would be a fairly simple process in terms of like you know, this is what I would love to know from the ladies. I mean, is it what's your mindset with Meet Regent Men in terms of you know that initial communication? I mean, are you gonna play the spiritual card from the very beginning, or you know if somebody just says yeah, can we can we just um, hang out and just get, either get something to eat or I don't know what what's your, what's your response to that? Well, yeah. that. What somebody have a time? Who's got a time? 812, all right, we'll go ahead and start the Q&A right now then. So that's the first question. You, you got something else? Okay, go. Okay, um, my wife and I prepared something special for you. No, I'm not gonna sing a song. This is just 10 strategies of building um, successful relationship. And ladies, forgive me, but this is gonna be directed to the gentleman. Is that okay? Okay. Number one, and this, this is not anything really deep or just be a good friend. Be a good friend, be sensitive and be honest. Don't waste your time. Can I get ladies to just give me a thumbs up on that? Be honest. I mean. Again, I don't know what your intentions are, but you know, from the very beginning, be a good friend. Number two, continue to pursue, pursue her. Well, so now I kind of want to talk to those that, um, of course, are not dating. But is anybody here that is dating? Like you've got a special person in your life, you don't want to raise. Okay, one, two. Okay, good. So some of these are going to be from people for people who are already in a, a, a relationship. Uh, continue to pursue your girlfriend. Okay, here we go. Maintain good hygiene. Okay, sorry, keep going. Be a gentleman, remember the magic words. What are the magic words, guys? Please thank you. Come to that word, sure, please and thank you, yes. Um, so continue to pursue your girlfriend, maintain good hygiene, be a gentleman, remember the magic words, and the third one is be respectful. For number three, make a special effort, make special effort to encourage her. Keep the conversation positive, avoid negativity. Number four, learn how to handle conflict. Guys, you will face conflict. There will be times when you're gonna disagree about something. I know, shocker, right? Um, here we go. Number one, practice fighting fair, forgive quickly, and uh, hold short accounts, leave the past in the past. Uh, number five, take interest in her interests. So this is, what, this is the wonderful journey, the, this is the wonderful thing about the conversation journey. You learn, about what this person's interest is, and you learn, you know, what 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 lights her, what what lights up her life, and what you know, what her hobbies are, what her special interests are. Number six, this is a big one: become a great listener. Can I get an amen, ladies? Thank you. I got one. Hallelujah. I'll take that. Become a good listener. Don't try to solve all her problems, but be willing to be a sounding board. Next one, number seven, learn and understand that she con what she considers communication. Guys, women are from Mars, guys are from Venus or something like that. So sometimes don't assume your understanding of, or definition of communication is hers, okay? So ask a question if you don't understand. Repeat back to her what she's trying to communicate, okay? Number eight, encourage her to maintain good eating and sleeping habits. Don't be a don't be a bad food look. Don't be a bad food influence, and of course, uh, maintain respectable dating hours. 
Number nine, establish guidelines and boundaries for affection. Uh, be aware of compromising situations. Be aware of compromising situations. And um, keep your affections honorable. And the last one, number 10, um, make her feel appreciated and be original and creative. Think outside the box. Okay, Q&A. Can I add, can I add one um, I would say pray for her and her family that the Lord continue to intercede in her life and ask her about her family because it's not just the, the idea of partnership in marriage it's partnership as a family unit you're a team and so be praying about that that the Lord intercede in that and that the Lord express that kind of love through you that you're somebody that values those things yeah just something real quick um just on uh you know you said continue to pursue um her and i think that's uh you know both while you're girlfriend and boyfriend and then you know you're engaged and married um and you know i've i've heard this before um but you know there, there are still roles between genders. It's definitely a little bit um, different now in this modern day and age. Um, but how much is too much of a pursuit? I know I, I understand, and I think most of us understand, you know, when it starts getting creepy, you know, it's like, all right, you, you, you better stop. Like, we're going to call cops. Um, but, you know, is... is I like a girl, and I ask her, "Hey, you know, I like you," and she's like, mm -mm. "Do I do I just give up, move on, or if or what do I do?" That's kind of a tricky situation. In that, my first response is, "I'm going to respect this young lady, and I'm not going to uh, stalk her. I'm not going to be, you know, coincidentally in the same place as her, you know, three, four times a day." But if I feel in my heart, my heart, heart of hearts comes, ladies, hold on to this for a second. And I feel in my heart of hearts that she's worth pursuing. I will give it some time. And, you know, at the right place at the right time, I will just show interest again. Again, guys, um, especially the, the dynamics of certain, certain ladies and the situations either they're in or they've been in the past. Going for the date the first time may not be the best best way. But if you, if you, if you just come across, I want to get to know you. I want to be in your friend circle. I want to... You know, can we just exchange conversation? Can we study together? Whatever. Um, I think in, done in an honorable way, maybe after you've some time has, has um, passed, you know, that's worthwhile. But if, if the second no is adamant, then, then you know what ha has to happen? You know, I'm going to back off. Because either one or two things, either she's not the right one or he's not the right one. Let's keep it guy, girl. Either she's not the right one or you need to give her space and let the Holy Spirit deal with her heart. I've seen that happen time and time and time again where it's been like a major no, not going to happen in this lifetime, buddy. And then the Holy Spirit does something and after a while, you know, they, they actually come back together and I've seen some wonderful marriages birth like that. Yeah, um, and I'm sure we can move on to uh, Q&A after this. Um, but I think one of the, I've heard this before, one of the uh, best things a woman could do if you know, if a, they see that a guy likes them um, and they like them back is, is just be inviting. Just, you know, 
be like, hey, do you want to study or, you know, just kind of be inviting and, and not really be, um, like you can still pursue, but more in a, in a subtle way. Yeah. I think it even just pushes your point forward about friendship, just getting to know, doing life together. That's my favorite phrase. That doing life together is something I value so much. And so exactly what you're saying, it is, even, even if there is a mutual, you know, liking, I would still encourage to just build that friendship first and foremost, so that when you do transition into being in a relationship, it's it's already natural. Cool. The Q and A. All right, let's jump into the Q and A. Right. Yeah. 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 If, if any of you have any questions for either Pastor Mark, Jaron, or me, uh, we'd love to hear it. Please ask. You you all know us, so we're not gonna bite. Just you know, don't react. We got enough court. All right, so this question is for Pastor Mark. So uh, when you were dating, engaged, or married, was there ever a time that you kind of lost the like lovey-dovey feels and there was no like emotional uh, like attraction to uh, Dr. Don? I would say in 34 years of marriage, um, June will be 35, there were times, can I be just very bluntly honest with you? Yeah, there were times when I didn't feel the mind-blowing, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, there were times when I didn't feel that great affection, I didn't feel those you know, those love birds, birds flying around, no. And that brings me back to love is a decision. and. When you base, and I used to watch, you know, the whole Hollywood scene and celebrities, and you wonder how they can get married so quickly. These people who have everything, but, but when you when you when you just get married on a based on a feeling, you know, I don't I don't feel like a dad, but I am a dad. I've been a dad for you know a lot of years. So when I go home and I encounter my children and or grandchildren, that doesn't because I don't feel like a father or grandfather doesn't that abdicate me from the responsibilities. So there are times when I don't feel all of that love and passion and stuff, but my my relationship is founded on the bedrock of trust and of friendship and of, of, of intimacy with Christ and with each other. So those times are minimal though, they really are. Because it's almost like, you know, and we can kind of spiritualize this positively and negatively and, and blame it all on the devil. Dude, there are times when you know I am probably not the most attractive thing to my wife at all and she needs her space. So we've learned to figure out those dynamics when I when I give her that space and vice versa. But yeah, there are times like that when you know it, it's not you're just not feeling it. But then that's when I, I I'm in my gear, I'm in my mode of I'm not based on it. It's not based on my feelings. It's based on the reality of our love in Christ and our and all of those other wonderful things that make this relationship a dynamic relationship. Anyone else? You mentioned this once before, and you talked about honorable affection when talking about avoiding the opposite of that. But I just want to know, and I want you to be as specific as you can, what is honorable affection? Thank you for that question. <clears throat> my opinion and my perspective is it's dishonorable for a single Christian man to touch a female in any private part. 
that's dishonorable. I'm not going to dishonor you. The, the, that's off limits to me because we, you know we're not married. So touching inappropriately in in genitalia, that's 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 uh, that's dishonorable. Um, you know, I, I think if you're going to be giving each other hickeys, that's 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 a problem because when you start that kind of affection, well, think about it. When you when you're sucking on somebody's neck. Well, girls, okay, ladies, when you're sucking on a guy's neck, he's getting aroused if he's if he's alive. Okay, if he's functioning, everything he's getting he's getting aroused. So you are telling your body we are preparing for intercourse, and then you stop. And same thing, vice versa. You know, if if he's doing something that's sexually stimulating to you, giving you a hickey, whatever, then you're telling your body. So you're putting yourself in a compromising position where you now you have to deal with another set of dynamics, saying, okay, we gotta. <laughs> Okay, this you know, and, and many times that doesn't happen, the de-escalation. So that's one instance. Um, kissing, you gotta, we, we, can we go to talk about kissing a little bit? Um, my wife and I kissed, you know, in our dating relationship. And um, we, we kissed with boundaries because, uh, yeah, there are certain kisses that, uh, like a real kiss, you're talking, you know, tonsillectomy stuff. Again, you are arousing, you're arousing your partner, you're arousing yourself, and my question, well, what's the end goal? So if you're going to be French kissing for, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then, all right, good night, God bless, no, 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 I mean, I, in some cases, in some couples, you're going to set yourself up for failure. So I'm just not even going to put myself there. So I would say, um, be careful with with the kissing, the, the touching, and, and be honorable because, again, you know, She's your sister in Christ. He's your brother in Christ, and I want to, um, I want to be able to honor and respect you. And let's say you break up, so you know you've given this guy access to your body, and you've you've done all of these, you know, really intimate things together. So you 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 violated each other actually. So that's why, ladies, you should always have limitations on on affection. Always have limitations and be. On the be on the error on the side of conservative because if this thing doesn't work out, he's not going to be able to tell all these juicy stories his buddies and guys do talk. Okay. Well, I think spiritual discernment, you know, applies in those situations, you know, like immensely. You having the you know knowledge and the wisdom to allow the Lord to intercede in those situations and remove you from those, you know, potentials, you know, using spiritual discernment and making sure that you both are Christ-centered while you're together. And I've, I've talked to a couple that right before they got married, they were, they were definitely being tempted in those areas, and they said the thing that saved them was they would just stop and just fall on their knees and pray together not separately together and that's what the interceding kind of like moment of where they they didn't give in to those temptations and now have a very flourishing you know relationship and let me say something about um, virginity remember I talked about the non-negotiables for both my wife and I, when we met as teenagers in high school, our non-negotiables were that we were gonna marry virgins. She kept her end of the bargain. 
during my college years, I did not. So for those of you that have compromised or you know somebody that's compromised their virginity, it's not the end of the world because the blood of Jesus doesn't just cover that sin, it washes away that sin. When you declare to him a second virginity to say, Father, I'm going to preserve my body, I'm going to preserve myself for my mate, and the next time that I am truly intimate with somebody will be on my wedding night, I believe he honors that. He really does. So for the couples, and again, in, in the 35, 35 years we've been married, we've been actually doing marriage counseling for at least 20 of those years. And the couples that have engaged in premarital sex, just unlimited, whatever, and got married, those are the couples, and I've heard this from the professionals too, those are the couples that have the most sexually dysfunctional marriages. It's just some, it, just, it just does something foundationally to the marriage. In some cases, it never really kind of recovers. So I, I, I even brought up this point for those of you that the enemy who might try to bring some condemnation and I, you know, you've compromised your virginity, you've done this, you've done that, whatever. Listen, you come to the Lord and you put that stuff under the blood of Jesus. You set up some boundaries and you can, you will have a quality marriage and relationship with your spouse. Yeah, do you think you could ever become co too codependent with somebody? Um, and if so, how do you prevent that? In dating? Um, dating, uh, marriage, I mean, either one. I think in dating, there's definitely, I've seen um, unhealthy codependence. I've seen um, dating people acting like they're married, you know, you know, like, paying each other's bills or just just unhealthy spending unhealthy amounts of time together you know I, I, I again even in the healthiest college dating relationships I I strongly endorse having limitations on how long you talk on the phone how late you talk how much time you spend together how much how much time you're alone together so you know so that you can build this capacity to to not abuse and use each other now on the marriage side again we have worked out those details and you know it's, it's i am i am spending my life literally trying to find ways to bless my wife like i'm on, on my way home today and i know i had a short window and i'm tired and i really wanted to just relax for a minute and do something but i called her and i said hey honey i'm on my way home and you know i knew she had dinner prepared for my sons and is this something you wanted yeah and and the kind of hoping that she would not make me stop. But yeah, I kind of do want some hot. And she told me what kind of food. I stopped and got it for her. So, I mean, I live to spoil her. I live to make her happy and smile. And, you know, I don't think on, my, the, on the marriage side that can get unhealthy unless you've got some other dysfunctional issues going on. But in a, in a dating relationship in college, yes, I definitely think there should be some, some limitations and some boundaries in terms of codependency. And another another thing to another way to um, to guard against that, ladies and gentlemen, is to have accountability, to have other couples and people in your life that can speak in your life. Your your relationship with whoever you're dating or whoever you're with and having friendship, it should be like an open book. And the people that you admire, the people that you respect, um, including your peers. But I'm just saying, I really believe that um, it's healthy for dating college couples to have older couples in their lives that can maybe just pour some wisdom and, and support and encouragement into your lives. Yeah. 
That's great. That's awesome. Does anyone else have a question? Elijah? Next question has to be so being on a Christian college campus, I know some people have done this before, and I've even heard someone try and do it to me. Uh, some people go, God told me to marry this person. And so what happens, it, like, what should you do if someone does that to you, or what do you do if you feel like God's telling you that, either rightly or wrongly? If I felt God was telling me somebody's my wife, I would run to that accountability person. I'm talking about the older, mature, like maybe married person and say, dude, this is what's going on in my life. And I would probably do that with the person and their wife. I would do that with both of them because they're going to give you some godly counsel. They're going to give, I, I don't, I, I just don't believe that, you know, God speaks to one person and not the other. And if he does, um, I think there's a tactful way of um, he's going to give you a strategy, maybe. So I'm not I'm not totally discounting the, the possibility that God would do that. But for him to do that and you to run up to that person and say, hey, by the way, God spoke to me and you're going to be my wife. Wow. No, I, I don't. I, I don't. I just I don't think God rolls like that. Or if he does, I don't think that um, that it, it should play out like that. Um, yeah. The accountability piece is huge. Having somebody in your life. Uh, who's grounded, it may be parental, it may be pastoral. I hope everybody's a part of a, a really good, thriving ministry, whether if you're from this area or from out of town. But yeah, having somebody else to, because that, I, I can't see any like biblical basis for that really working. Can I bounce off that? Um, I, for those who don't know, I love old people. I love old people. Um, I have like a, well, I'm not saying you're old, but I'm just, um, <laughs> But uh, I, have a, I have my friend John in Oregon, whenever I go home, uh, he's in his 70s, and all his kids are grown up, and um, a lot, actually a lot of the parents, uh, a lot of the people at my church, their kids, it's a kind of a, uh, an issue at my church is their kids have left the church. They're all like adult kids. And so that's been, that's a hardship on a lot of their, you know, what, what their, what's on their hearts and knowing that their children are not in the church. And so... When we moved there, I tried to make an intentional decision to be hang out with the older people at my church. And John, I met him through, we were both wearing the same Hawaiian shirt. And so I built a relationship off of something silly like that. But um, through that, I was able to really just create a unique friendship with him where he loves golf. I have absolutely no interest in golf whatsoever. But I make the time to go play golf with him because it's something he loves to do. And I've always appreciated the idea of the wisdom that you can garner from older couples and older people that have the experience that have gone through it. You know, you have to go through it before you can grow through it. And so seeking out, and I'm just encouraging on that, I, would, I encourage everyone, especially college students, you've got to connect with the older people at your church because they've gone through it. Ask my wife, when you and Pastor Mark started dating as teenagers, on a typical date night, where was the first place you would go? And she will tell you, he took me to his grandfather's house. And we would sit in my grandfather's living room, and he had his big, like, lazy boy chair. And I just wanted to be near him. We would just stay 30 minutes sometimes, 45 minutes. But um, the wisdom of him and my grandmother was priceless. Of course, they're both in heaven now. But yeah, I, I would, in an ideal situation. 
and it may even be your parents or somebody, but definitely have that area of accountability. I'm not ending this tonight until a lady asks a question. So, look. so this is going back like a couple minutes. You guys moved on a couple times, but I wrote stuff down. Um, you said that you don't believe that God speaks to just one person in the relationship. So that's one. I just wanted to ask about that. And the second question is, when you're seeking counsel from older people, how much counsel is too much counsel? Like, when does it get just not a positive experience? That's an awesome question. Let me do the first, the second one first. How much counsel is too much counsel? Ideally, when you're getting counsel um, in a situation like this, what we just talked about, the counsel that you get from this, let's say, older, mature, wisdom couple should confirm what God's already saying. Or it may, it may clarify a direction. But they should not be like calling every shot, every movement. It should not be so manipulative or it should not be so uh, suffocating that, you know, it's like every day, okay, let me call someone so day. No, 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 it's, it's not for that. It's, it's, it's for those, really for those times when you either get an impasse on the road or you just really just kind of want to, um, put yourself in a position to be in their presence just to get some encouragement, you know, on a general basis. But excuse me, it's not it's not meant to like play by play, day by day, this is how, what your life should look like. Um, I, when I said, okay, I don't believe God speaks to uh, just the one person. Again, yeah, I think um, in, in matters as serious as relationships, um, especially in a long term, like you say, uh, you know, God told me was today, February 28th, somebody's going to be my wife, and, you know, it's been a year, and God hasn't said anything to them. They don't even want to look, they don't even want to give you the time of day. I mean, I'm, I'm, I would say to that young man, yo, bro, move on, okay? Um, I just I just don't believe God works like that. I, I believe that, you know, if if he put this young lady on your heart, put this person on your heart, and uh, you take steps to build a relationship, to try to get to know them, and they reject that, somebody missed it. And we do miss it. You know, I've missed God many times in different areas of my life. But yeah, uh, I think at some point, and I've seen, I've seen the female have a catharsis three months, a year down the road. I've seen that happen. But if it just, if she's just not feeling, or he's not feeling, again, it can be really creepy. You playing that God card? It's, that's just not cool. Another lady. So um, it's kind of been mentioned and talked about a few times, this idea of losing that emotional feeling. Um, and I think it, there's such a clear path when you think uh, and talk about love as a decision within the context of marriage, um, that that's not something that you say, oh, I don't love this person anymore. We fell out of love. Um, in the secular world, that's we fell out of love, we get divorced, we move on. Um, and I think in the context of marriage, especially Christian marriage, that must look so different. Um, but I think in the context of a relationship, uh, I think it, it, the answer becomes less clear for a lot of people. Uh, if you're not committed to that person, if you're not engaged or you're not married, um, what do you think is are those next steps uh, if you want to honor that person? Um, but also keep in mind that maybe you will for a week be disgusted by this person. That Maybe this is unlikely, right? But maybe you will for a week think, I don't want to be around this person. And the next week think, I've made a mistake. 
Um, so so what's, what's that look like outside of that marriage context, do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, going through short stints where, okay, I'm not feeling this person right now, and, and, and I'm sure some of you either know somebody, or you've been in a relationship where you go, okay, let's, let's give each other space. Let's, let's take a week or two weeks or a month or whatever off. Um, that's that's kind of natural. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think in, a, in, in, in the context of college students and, and dating and establishing relationship and you're moving, if that relationship isn't on a regular basis, if those feelings and emotions aren't getting stronger and stronger and, and, and maintaining on a certain level, to me, that's, a, that's an indicator. That's an indicator, and because along with that should be some other markers too. You know, um, sometimes I see um, one person trying to make the person like more spiritual than they really are. They're trying to make them more okay. Well, I mean, uh, he 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 used to get drunk all the time, but now he just gets drunk like one weekend out of the month. So you know, and and some of those other things, some of those other external things cause those those feelings to kind of wane, and you start to, you know, outside of that, I'm like no. The, the feelings and those emotions should continue to get stronger. They should maintain strength. And when they start to wane, then I would just, just seriously start looking for some markers to say, you know, is there something else dysfunctional here that I should be paying attention to? Um, going off of that, in the my over break, uh, Christmas break, my mom gave me one of the best pieces of advice that I'd ever heard. And it was, it really, hit me hard and resonated extremely deeply with with me. She said, the person that's gonna fall in love with you is gonna fall in love with you for who you are, not for what you do. And so on an encouraging level, we go back to this idea of selflessness and it's again, you know, if you feel this calling on your heart or if there's just a process of what you're going through, just make sure that you are first taking notice of who you are and who the Lord's made you to be and not worry about the perception of what you what your maybe your career is or or where you're feeling you you might end up because ultimately we we never know where we're going to end up. I mean even this year I could name a bunch of things where I didn't know that the, those doors were going to open. So we we never really know where we're going to end up. So just trusting that you do know for sure who you are and who the Lord's made you to be, so you got to work in making sure that is established and that they know. Like when you when somebody says, who do you think this person is? They can immediately explain, like, this is who that person is, and I can say it in full confidence. One more. All right. Oh, two more. Two, okay. Um, thank you all so much for doing this tonight. Um, asking for a friend, for some friends. Um, what is the best approach to take with long distance? I have several friends that are doing that right now. They all say that it's really hard, it's really difficult. What does a good um, long distance relationship look like? Um, how should that be approached, um, especially today? My wife and I had the unique experience of both of us being in college in two different states and two college campuses. And I don't know if I would I would recommend this to couples today, but this is what we did. We said, look, we're gonna enjoy our college experience. 
So when you're uh, during your college year, go. I mean, go out and do stuff with friends. Don't be stuck in the room talking about you know Mark Borders, Mark. No, I mean, and same thing. We were like, so I went out with other friends and I did stuff, but uh, getting specifically to your point, the way we maintained it was just constant communication. Like, oh my God, what would I have done if we would have had cell phones and FaceTime? So now we have like these shoe boxes of letters that we wrote. And I would still, I mean, if this was a long relationship, I would still strongly encourage you to, at some point, just start writing each other letters, send cards and that you've just written out with freehand, you know, conversation. But it's, it's, uh, it's a different world today and you don't have the limitations that I had. So the, Concern might be though to over communicate or to again let those boundaries get so loose that you know it, it becomes a it's become so familiar. There's no novelty in in uh, in communicating with each other. So what you do, you find a healthy balance um, between talks and and cards and and just communication. You find that healthy balance, but it's really you know not just talking about your feelings and talking about. But we strongly suggest, you know, having Bible study together, sharing scriptures, making making your spiritual development, making your spiritual growth and formation a part of the dynamic of your relationship. And especially that's very important in a long distance relationship. This is this is what this is what I learned on campus today or this week, and this is what this is what's imparted to me. And then having them share some of their spiritual journey also. Yeah, I even I even think um, just like you know, it depends on who you two are. You know, you got to know yourself and you got to know this other person. If if you can spend all day with a person and not hate them at the end of the day, like, that's awesome. But if they, you know, can only spend time with you for an hour and they start to get irritated just because they're an introvert or whatever it is, like, you got to know that space and you just got to learn to meet each other halfway. It's a rather specific question. Um, but what, whether you were in full-time ministry or weren't serving at that moment, what did partnering with your, with Dr. Don in every vocation that you were doing in every phase of life, what did that look like? What did it look like partnering with her? You're talking like in marriage together or prior to marriage? In marriage, in ministry, in every phase of life. Wow. Okay, that's good. All right, let me touch both of those, and we can end on this. My wife has always, until now, my wife has always made more money than me. She's just, well, when we got married, um, I had my bachelor's. She finished her master's. We lived in L.A. Los Angeles, California is the second highest paying state in the country for, for teachers in the education field. I think New York is number one. But anyway, so I... Um, I spent our whole time out there making substantially more money. I was in the corporate world. I worked for an airline back in those days. So um, I had to put all my little pride and all my little you know, issues aside and understand that this is a partnership, this is a journey, and that we would take this journey together. Um, there were times when um, we, would, we, we, we had to supplement, like of course we went to church on, um, on Sundays, but we supplemented our spiritual growth by um, going to um, a midweek Bible study. And it was an intense Bible, it was just an hour, but it was intense. 
and I, I, I learned from her, she took, took copious notes. And she's writing, I mean, she's like flipping pages, writing this longhand stuff. And so she really challenged me. She challenged me from an area of really spiritual mediocrity. She really upped my game. And I wasn't doing it to be competitive, but I'm saying that she's absorbing so much more because she would be like, a few days later, regurgitating all this stuff while she's talking to somebody on the phone. She's flipping pages and I'm going like, I've got eight lines and she's got three pages. What's wrong with this? So there were times when she was able to inspire me and, and, and challenge me. Sometimes, I mean, not even directly, indirectly challenge me. And then there are other times too that, you know, since I'm in ministry and some, since I'm um, up front a lot and, 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 and I'm the person being called on, she, was, she, she would be that support for me. I'm telling you guys, I would be absolutely, totally lost without her. Not just from her um, administrative prowess, but just the, her spirit of excellence. And she, she's constantly telling me about, you know, little things that, you know, don't even register in the male mind many times in terms of my appearance and my, my presentation, my this, my that. So I had to learn not to be so sensitive. I had to learn that, you know, her, her, her correction or criticism was because she loves me and she wants me to be better. And I'll never forget this one time she said something and I kind of reacted like, you know, that kind of hurt my feelings. She's like, Mark, stop. She said, I'm your biggest fan. Now, that resonated with me because I'm a huge sport fan, sports fan. So when she said that, it was like, I got it. I can, she can say anything to me now and I, can, I know where to put it. I know how to receive it because A, I know she loves me. She's not trying to hurt me. She's not trying to beat me down. She's trying to help me to be the best I can be. So you, 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 you learn and you work out those things and you, you find those areas where you can sharpen each other and where you can challenge each other and you can build each other. I'm telling you guys, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Let's give it up for Pastor Mark. And that concludes... Go on live. Everyone, I want to thank you all for coming out tonight. It's been a pleasure, Pastor Mark. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, uh, uh, just to dig into your brain a little bit and for you to display the wisdom. Uh, everyone, thank you for asking questions and uh, participating. Jaron, always a pleasure. Um, and just thank you for coming out, and I hope you guys have a great night.